Here we are, back again at the dawn of the Third Age, talking about the Babylon 5 book, Clark's Law. From the back cover, Death Before Dishonour. The Tuchang, a newly discovered humanoid species, can be an important ally for the Alliance, commanded by President Clark. So Captain John Sheridan welcomes their ambassadors to Babylon 5, not knowing that among them is Dark. Dark is actually spelled D apostrophe arc, a bit like Jakar, so it's probably like the arc, but I'm just going to call her uh, Dark, as it's easier. A mass murderer on the run, hoping to escape into the unsuspecting worlds of the galaxy. Clark's Law. But the unforgiving rules of space have a different fate in store for Dark. A terrifying accident wipes away Dark's identity and his evil, leaving behind a loving, innocent being with a child's mind. A being that must die because President Clark, a leader with his own secret agenda, orders his immediate execution. Now, as Babylon 5 physician Dr Stephen Franklin begs Sheridan to defy Clark's law, the captain faces the greatest test of his command, and a far greater test of his manhood, which may end his career in shame or become a shining reminder of what being human truly means. I'm not sure who wrote this synopsis, uh, but I couldn't very well write a review without pointing out some inaccuracies. So, for starters, Dark is not a mass murderer on the run, looking to escape to other worlds. Her background is not quite so black and white, um, nor is he, in fact, a he, uh, as he's described in the synopsis. It's actually a she. Um, And I certainly don't remember a test of Sheridan's manhood. Perhaps the publisher wrote this based on a preliminary idea of what the story was going to be. Uh, but uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit odd that the uh, the details are so far out. <clears throat> uh, but anyway, straight away I found the start of the book to be very engaging. The first few prologue chapters are titled "The First Lie" and "The Second Lie." The first of which sets up the Earth Minbari War. And then secondly, the ulterior motive of President Clark for reinstating the death penalty. We also get quite a dark introduction to the Tu Chang, which helps to engage with what are essentially a new set of characters. These are only a few pages long, but they provide the context for the story that follows, which itself is a ripple effect of these events on Babylon 5 and its characters, who seem very much caught in the middle of far greater political implications. The Tu Chang are described as lanky, slim humanoids with pale yellow skin. They can walk upright or move around on all fours as their arms and legs are the same length and their necks can adapt to the change of perspective. They also have many spines, like a porcupine, I guess. Uh, Every now and then they tip their spines in one direction or another when listening or communicating. As the Centauri had enslaved the Narn race and abused their planet, so too of the Narn people treated the Tu Chang in much the same way. So when a delegation boards Babylon 5, all hell breaks loose between the Tu Chang and the Narn, resulting in exasperation from Ivanova and jokes and shrugs from Garibaldi. The Tu Chang have some pretty far-out rituals, including the use of blood to draw out their journey of the land, as well as retaining their identity through song. And if the song is to be broken, let's say, just for example, Ivanova calling for them to be stunned to prevent further violence with the Narn, well, that would be problematic, as when the two Chang awake, they would no longer know who they are and go on a murderous rampage. As one of the mad Tu Chang escapes, she comes across a seedy human exec in the down below, who's just in search of a good time involving tentacles and, I quote, 
suckers fit to make a man cry. This leads to a scene more akin to the film Aliens than Babylon 5, with a little R-rated horror in a loading bay, which I thought was a particularly nice touch and pushes the show just beyond the limits of what we get to see on screen, what with budget and target audience. While my description so far is likely doing the book a great disservice, it's actually very well written with engaging new characters and villains, as well as interesting world building that fits within the framework already established in the show. What follows in the loading bay is a bone-soaring, crane-crashing, zero-G medical emergency for Franklin. Grabbing the body, Franklin pushed himself back the way he had come. The length of girders was twisting, winding together. Metal screamed constantly. Blood trickled from the rigger's clamped leg, misted the space around his visor, made the girders slick beneath his gloved fingers. Franklin felt metal press against his back and legs felt himself squashed into a fetal position by the winch house and the twisting girders. Oh hell, this is not good. This is not good at all. Being woken during a medical emergency also provides some insight into Franklin's reliance on stims, which helps to flesh out the character's addiction storyline later on in the show, but in a more grounded, less clumsy way. In fact, just like a good episode of B5, where the groundwork is laid for further events or references made to past ones. Most of the characters that come in and out of this story reference aspects of the show in a meaningful way, which helps give the characters depth and relation to the things going on around them, even if they're only mentioned briefly. For example, Franklin's stim use isn't just a tick box nod to the show, it's relevant to the current medical emergency he's faced with. Lita hearkening back to encounters with Kosh and the Vorlons is pertinent to her part in the story too. There's also references to the macabre and the life-giver machine. This is really good work on the author's part, further immersing you into the story by also alluding to the bigger picture beyond just this self-contained novel, and using plot devices from other episodes. It's really quite brilliant. Reading the synopsis, I was concerned that much of the book would be about the new alien race, especially the part about the new childlike persona, leading to lots of POV of the character. And as I've stated in every review so far, my primary concern is spending time with the established characters and settings, more so than new ones. However, the author brilliantly introduces them simply as a plot device, before relegating them mostly to background noise, and the story then focuses on the interactions of the main B5 cast. Just like an episode, you're given enough information about the alien of the week to be interesting and thought-provoking, like the introduction to the Soul Hunters, but the story is then about the implications on the station. This is another area where the book excelled for me. The interaction between characters seemed to fall off the screen, like Sheridan's irritation with Garibaldi's wisecracking, or tension between Veer and Delenn when he asks for the Mimbari's help, or her inner turmoil as she has to refuse for reasons only hinted at, or Franklin's outright protest to anyone about the death penalty. Despite the fact that on the most part these characters get along, work together or respect each other, the tension captured as their individual agendas and morals all jostle for supremacy again come across as very authentic. So if this is such a great book, why does it only have a 3.16 on Goodreads? with a divisive mix of angry one and enthusiastic five-star reviews. 
In all honesty, I don't know. And this is probably one of the reasons I was so keen to start this podcast. So many times my expectations have been raised or lowered only to be left utterly confused by the ratings. Some of the reviews talk about the tone of the book being very dark, which I can imagine would be off-putting to some. Often we like our escapism from the real world to be light with a hint of danger, knowing the characters will somehow scrape through. You know, less anxiety-inducing than real life. Although the tone is darker, I wouldn't say it's out of character for the show. We're used to seeing people attacked in tight corridors, assassination attempts, or the poverty of crime-ridden down below. Often the violence is negated by budget, or perhaps not wishing to alienate a target audience. The Home Guard in Season 1 carry out some vicious knife attacks. However, the violence is slightly removed by the fact that we later see them dressed as ninja, and the attacks are carried out by some kind of twirling switchblades from the 1950s. However, the idea that life holds little value runs through the show, and the division of race is what could ultimately lead to our demise when it comes to the shadows. The book depicts the violence in a way that's less filtered through the lens of the show, but was always there. Some reviews give emphasis to the death penalty storyline, or how it's a kind of separate, separate sci-fi idea that the author had and is trying to make fit. Personally, I found it to be a really natural plot device in the world of B5 because of the political context provided. It didn't feel alien or jarring and made perfect sense within the world. It also provided the perfect B5 dilemma. By putting Sheridan in between the will of EarthGov, a station full of angry alien and human protesters, the outrage of subordinates, the future relationship of Earth and the Tuchang, as well as his own moral dilemma. Also, the areas that could have been a drag, like the courtroom part of the story, were neatly glossed over in just a few pages. A protest in the latter portion of the book did drag on a little for my liking, and came across as a little repetitive. But the tying up at the end and showing how Sheridan was forced into making the best out of a bad situation, even playing the part of a villain himself in some ways, was brilliantly done in my opinion, as well as the epilogue of truths reverting back to the wider world outside the station. These allude to upcoming events and a short monologue from President Clark that includes the line, Dust in sunlight is all we ever are. One thought occurred to me as I was reading the description of the two Chang. Because of budget, the type of alien you see in the show is generally just a person in makeup. So sometimes, when tie-in books introduce elaborate creatures, like these tall, pale yellow, spiny people, who can transform between upright and all fours, I do wonder if they really fit into the show. This isn't a negative or a criticism, and it's good that the written word can push past things like budget. But does the usual restraints of these shows call into question the authenticity of characters or events that seem beyond what you would normally find in an episode? And at times, as much as I think the author did a brilliant job voicing the characters, sometimes they feel like a manic, larger version of themselves. Franklin's continued teeth grinding, Garibaldi's perpetual shoulder shrugging while putting his hands deep in his pockets at every opportunity. And the events which transpire between Jakar and Londo seem, well, quite big considering it's never mentioned in the show. That said, I think the gesticulations match the situations 
and what occurs between Jakar and Londo wouldn't be out of place in an episode. For me, these are very minor digs, and overall it was a joy to read, not expecting much, but finding myself continually surprised by the authenticity of the characters and the world-building. And so, I give it five stars. But don't take my word for it, read it for yourself, and re-immerse yourself into the world of Babylon 5. We're going to take a break from B5 for now, so join me next week as we dip our toes into the world of Star Trek. Thank you for sharing this journey with me through the world of sci-fi TV fiction. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Also, if you have any recommends or requests, feel free to let me know. Or just come for a chat at John Abel Writer. That's J-O-H-N-A-B-L-E Writer at gmail.com.